all doing today? I need these. You know, Ben can do this preaching thing with, um, without one of these. I don't know how he does it. Maybe he has like bigger hands or something. I don't know, but I cannot do it. I'm like, I need one of these. And then he sits and he looks all relaxed. And I'm like, I, how can you do this? I have to start walking around. Otherwise, I get all impatient. But, um, but s- for those of you who don't know who I, I am, uh, my name is Joe Lumen. I have been serving with Ben and Katie, our pastors, for a few years now. Um, it was with them that I really uh, started following the Lord, and it was serving them in ministry that I really understood that God has a plan for me and that I am supposed to serve and that I am su- not really supposed, but I, the desire um, to serve in the church and the desire to serve God started arising in me as I started serving with Ben and Katie. Um, so they are on vacation. How many of you know that our pastors need some vacation too? Yeah. Right? Um, so they are on vacation. So they asked me, to, to preach today, and it was really, really exciting, and I'm not going to lie, I was nervous. Well, heck, I'm nervous still, but, um, <laughs> but it is good. It is good because it is the Lord. I believe that the word that I have for you today is really from the Lord. Um, I'm really excited to share with you today. Um, I don't know if some of you have been able to come the last few weeks, but we've been going over this series called When in Rome, Um, And it has been a really, really exciting and good series. I really have been enjoying it. Um, We've been going through the book of Romans, and um, I'm going to do a little recap so you guys know what we've been talking about. The first week, um, we spoke about the righteousness of God, and uh, it was a great message about how um, God is good and how he's righteous in Jesus Christ. Then the second week, we talked about three different types of people, the righteous person, the ignorant person, and the moral person, and how all three of them are without, without excuse. Um, there is no excuse for any of us, pretty much, then, to just follow Jesus Christ. And then the third week, which was last week, we spoke about how uh, Jesus Christ came not only to break sin off of our lives, but more than that, to break the power of sin off of our lives, which was a really exciting, I mean, that's exciting news for me. There is no power of sin over you or over me. That is just really exciting to me. Um, So we saw last week as well how chapters one through three talk about how messed up we are, um, which we are. I don't know if you've you're aware of how messed up you are, but if you're not, just talk to me. I will let you know. I will point it out. I'm really good at that. That's why people sometimes don't like me. I'm okay with it. Um, chapters 4 and 5 speak about how God has a plan. Um, sure, we are messed up, but God has a plan. He doesn't just leave us there all messed up. And chapters 6 through 8 make it a little bit more personal to you and I. So last week, Ben was here, and if you were here, it was actually really fun, and he came up with this new word called the in-betweeners. I love it. I think I'm going to use it forever. Um, So he put a chair here. He put another chair here. He talked about how this is the chair of righteousness, and we are supposed to be sitting here with Jesus Christ, and this is the chair of the sinner. And we stand up from this chair of the sinner, and we're moving towards the seat of righteousness, but instead we get stuck in the middle and we're in-betweeners and we just look back and we keep living in this fear of where, where am I, when am I going to go back there? Instead of remembering I'm here, I'm righteous. So it was really good, really, really good. And today I think I'm going to piggyback a little bit on that because chapter seven keeps touching on the things that um, Jesus Christ came to break off of our lives. So when chapter 6 is talking about sin being broken our li- off of our lives, then chapter 7 comes in and is talking about how the law 
is too, the power of the law is too broken off of our lives. Um, and I'm sure that doesn't sound all that um, like clear to all of you, but I'm, gonna, I'm here to explain that. It took me a while to understand it too, I'm not gonna lie. Ben told me I was preaching like a month ago, took me a month to get it. So give me some grace as I have like 40 minutes to explain it to you. Um, so we're gonna go ahead and read it first and then I'm gonna get into it. Um, we usually, Ben usually reads from the English Standard Version, which is a really good version. It's really faithful to the Greek. Um, sometimes we read from the New King James, really good version as well. I am reading today from the New Living Translation that is not that faithful to the Greek, but it's very understandable. So um, I like it. Let's go ahead and read. Ver- chapter 7, verse 1. I don't know if some of you are going, so I'm going to wait a second. All righty. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? For example, when a woman marries, the law, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as, he, as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So, while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, She is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she marries. So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. I'm going to go ahead and read that again. So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds, resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Chapter 7. Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I I would have never known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. At one time, I lived without understanding the law. But when I I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life, and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still, the law itself is holy, And its commands are holy and right and good. But how can that be? Did the law which is good cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's commands for its own evil purposes. Chapter 14. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. For I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. 
But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree the law is good. So I am not the only one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is wrong, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want, that when I want to do when is, what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war within, with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. What a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. You can see that Romans 7 is all about sin and law and law and sin. And it is actually, in other versions, it is actually hard to read. It's like a, what is that? A, like a crossword puzzle for the words or whatever. Um, so let me explain this whole law thing uh, going all the way back to Genesis. See, in the beginning, there was only one law. For Adam and Eve, there was only one law. Do not eat from the tree of knowledge of, of the knowledge of good and evil. That was it. That was the only law. That's all they could not really do. But um, the thing with us, with humans, is that we think that God has all these laws because he's, like, he doesn't like fun or he wants to stop us from doing all these things or he's just like not really, he, he's not about, you know, us having a good time. And it's really not about that. It took me a while to understand it. The only reason, it's, it's the, the, the tree he said not to eat is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, when they were in the garden, they were perfect. Everything was perfect. They were in perfect communion with God. It was a perfect place. God, being our father, he didn't want, want Adam and Eve to experience evil. He loved them so much. And those of you who are parents, you know, you don't want your kids to experience evil. He didn't even want us to have the knowledge of evil. That's how bad he wanted to protect us. He didn't want us to see evil at all. So the reason God is saying, guys, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's not because he's boring or it's not because he doesn't want us to have fun. It's because he's desperately trying to protect his kids. That's the only reason he was asking them, do not eat from that tree, guys. I don't want you to experience evil. I don't want you to even have knowledge of what evil is. Uh, let me go back there to the moment they eat. Um, I'm going to read it. If you want to read with me, it's Genesis 3, 1. I'm going to give you guys a second to read it. We're going to read a little bit of scripture today, but that is good. Then you know I'm not a crazy person just talking things, but it's the Bible. Genesis 3, 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord had made. One day, he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Let's pay attention to that for just a second. He comes. He's, he's clever, the enemy. You know, he's clever. Um, so he comes and he says, oh, wow, did God really say that you, you couldn't, that sex is awful? Did God really say that you couldn't have sex? No, that's not what he said. He said you shouldn't have sex outside of marriage because he's trying to protect you. But the enemy comes and lies to you and makes it look so much worse. So he says, did, did, did God really say that you couldn't eat anything? Wow. What kind of God? Seriously. So 
he starts putting this doubt inside of Eve's mind. So um, she goes, oh, da, 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 I lost it. Oh, here. Of course not. Uh, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. See, we must not eat it or even touch it. We must not even flirt with sin. Not even for a little. Um, You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. See, the enemy doesn't completely lie to us because he's clever. So he tells half-truths. He tells us half-truths so that, because if he lied altogether, we'd be like, he's crazy. You know, I'll just walk away out of here and that's it. No, he tells us half-truths. He doesn't tell you getting drunk is so much fun. You won't have a hangover. It's totally fun. It's awesome. Go ahead and do it. No, he tells you, sure, you'll get a hangover, but it's not a big deal. You know, I mean, you will have a great time, so think about that. You will do things that you wouldn't be able to do if you didn't get that drink. So you should go ahead and try it. It will help you be more outgoing. It will help you. See, he tells you half-truths, and that's what he's doing with Eve. He's saying, no, 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 no. It will open your eyes. Sure, that is true, but it will allow for you to see evil that God never meant for them to see. Um, so here we go, and he, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. They felt shame. See, there was one law, and only one law, And as soon as they broke that law, and as soon as they had the knowledge of what it was to break the law, and as soon as they had the knowledge, they felt shame. And that's exactly what Peter, Paul, that's totally what Paul is talking about in Romans 7. See, knowing the law is good, he's trying to protect us with the law. But the moment we allow for the enemy to come in and manipulate that law and manipulate the truth, then we feel shame because we know we've sinned. Then we start feeling guilty. And then God hadn't even been there yet. God hadn't said anything to them. But they already felt shame. They already were ashamed. How many of us have felt shame before people have even said anything to us? Before anybody has said anything? We already feel ashamed. How many of us have a hard time looking at others in the eyes? (laughs) When I first became a Christian, I didn't like going to church. I liked going to church, but I didn't like it that much because the pastors at this church and the leaders, Melissa and Brandon were one of the leaders, and they were so into like going and saying hi to you and, and, you know, looking at you. And I hated them looking at me in the eyes because I was like, they know. (laughs) They are totally, like, they know what I've done. Because every time I just felt ashamed Without, they didn't know. They had no idea. They could tell I was broken and they could tell I I needed God, but they didn't know what I had done. But see, that shame can take you closer to God or further away from God. And in the case of Adam and Eve, it took him further away from God. Because when God showed up later and he said, what happened? Who told you you were naked? Instead of them saying, God, forgive us. We have sinned. They were so ashamed that they started making up excuses. They were so ashamed that they, they just felt that relationship had been severed, and it was severed. Because, see, it says in the Bible that God, God cannot be in the presence of 
sin and what evil is, is sin. What they did, they disobeyed, their eyes were opened, and now there was sin. So God was just trying to protect that relationship and keep it pure and keep it perfect. And as soon as they were um, tempted and they fell into that temptation, their relationship was severed. And instead of them going back and laying at his feet and saying, God, we messed up, forgive us, we shouldn't have done it, they started putting blame. How many times have we done that? I'm so good at it. Now, I'm married, right? You know, you, you met my husband. Um, it's so easy to do that now when I'm married because <laughs> I'm like, you said you were going to do it. No, you said, no, it's totally your fault. <laughs> it's, I like it. Oh, it's nice. Um, I, I, hey, I'm excited to have kids because now you can really blame them because they can't, you know, at the beginning they can't really talk. Oh, I'm late because my kid. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Every time we're late, it's my husband's fault. Every time. And he takes it. He's nice, you know. He takes it. He's like, sure, it's my fault. Let's go back now to the New Testament. So, see, so we have this law. The law is broken. Now everything changes because now sin has entered the world. So we have some years, um, I'm sure they are centuries, I don't know exactly, where there aren't really written laws and we have all this sin and God actually brings the flood because the sin is just so outstanding. He brings the flood, then he promises not to do that again, and then he brings Moses into the whole, into the picture, into the book of the Bible, and um, he writes all these laws. And you know the Ten Commandments, and you know there are a whole bunch of laws there. See, but if you study the Ten Commandments and if you study all the books of the law, you realize that every single one of them, every single one of them is intended to protect us. Every single one of them. My mom um, is not a Christian, and it's hard to honor your parents when they are not Christians because sometimes they, they ask you to do things or they say things that you're like, that makes absolutely no sense to me. But, um, but I've, I've made that point to honor her and to, you know, just do what the Bible says to do with your parents. And I've noticed that God is so good that he gives my mom absolute biblical wisdom, and he gives my mom just, he, he puts something on, he really anoints her because she's my mom, and I'm honoring her. So when she gives me advice, it's totally biblical advice. And I've realized that he's honoring me every time I honor her. So the, every, t- every single one of them, it's meant to protect you. It's meant to cover you because your parents are supposed to give you wisdom. So you're supposed to trust them and honor them and take that wisdom from them. And if I go down all of the laws, you realize that that's the case. And um, so there are all these laws, and then the Jews became very legalistic about these laws. Um, so they had to follow them to the T. Like everything had to be followed to the T, and it, there was no grace. Everything is, is, it was just legalistic and scary, and God was, there was the wrath of God, and he was angry at you. And every time we messed up, he was so mad at you. And so Jesus comes along, and the law changes a little bit. So people, some people thought, wow. Now that he's here, this whole law thing is going to be abolished, right? It's done. But then he, we come to Matthew 5, and he says to us, Matthew 5, 17, which is not in this page, Matthew 5, 17, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. Nope. I came to accomplish their purpose. So he came to set that law straight because he Jesus knew that they were using the law the wrong way. Jesus knew that the enemy had started to come so that people were enslaved by that law and that people thought that they weren't good enough because of that law. 
And now God, Jesus says something that to me is like, I wish he wouldn't have said that because now I'm truly a sinner. So he goes down this list and he says, you know, sure, murder is bad and it's a sin and it's in the Ten Commandments. Do not murder. Uh, but that is not it. As soon as you have anger in your heart, that's when you start sinning. It's the anger. And then he talks about, sure, being an adulteress or an adulterer is bad and it's in the law. But I'm telling you, looking at a woman with lustful eyes, that's when it all starts. You're sinning back then too. And he goes down the list and he says revenge, wanting to have revenge. And he talks about um, divorce and he talks about like uh, hate and he talks about swearing and he talks about all these things and he talks about he brings it now guys it's not about following all these rules just like robots it doesn't it's not what i'm talking about the law is something in the heart it's your heart that has to be transformed it's your heart that has to be changed it's not following a set of rules in the meantime having something in your head that it's not supposed to be sure it's great that you're not having sex outside of marriage but if you're watching porn what's the point you're absolutely wasting your time. You might as well go look for the girl. No, that's bad. I'm kidding. <laughs> Don't do that. None of you. <laughs> no, but it, it's exactly what I'm saying. It's my point. It doesn't matter that you're not doing the law, that you are doing, following the law exactly. I'm following all these precepts. If your heart has not been transformed and if your heart has not been changed, sorry, changed. So, we see two things in chapter 7. Chapter 7, verses 7 through 14, talks about how the law is powerless to save the sinner. There is nothing that the law can do to save the sinner because once a sinner sees the law, he feels condemned and he feels inadequate. And if you look at the law and you read all of those things, you're like, ah, I, don't, I don't do any of those. None of those. So you feel condemned and you feel shame, which is what Adam and Eve felt and is what, what I have felt and most of you have felt. See, the law will not save the sinner. But more so, if you go and keep reading, verses 15 through 22 talk about how the law is powerless to save the lawkeeper as well. Because now we can't live up to it. Because even if we start following all the precepts of the law, see, our heart is deceiving our heart will say things that we don't want him to say, and Paul says it right there. He says, I don't do things that I want to do, and I end up doing things that I don't want to do. We end up doing things that we're not even attracted to. We end up sinning in ways that we never thought we would sin because it's not about keeping the law. It's about having a heart transformation, and it's about understanding grace. Um, when I was 15 years old, my dad moved I'm Colombian, and I grew up in Colombia, um, if you hadn't picked up from the accent. Um, he, my dad moved to the United States when I was 14 years old, and when I was 15, I came to visit him. Um, and he, I grew up agnostic. He, my dad was an agnostic as well. Like, church was not something we did, and if we couldn't prove God existed, then we didn't know if he existed, right? Um, so I come to Vegas, and he's so different, like a totally different person. My sister and I would listen to him and we would see, like, look at him and be like, we've, we've lost him. He's crazy. He has joined a cult and we need to take him out of the States because this is bad for him. He's crazy. So he would talk about God and he would talk about going to church and worshiping. And we, my sister and I just thought, okay, well, 
we might as well just go back to Colombia, dad. This is too much. But my dad is the kind of dad, he's very strict, and he, he's a loving, strict kind of guy. So he said, well, guys, you're visiting me, so we're going to church. And my sister and I were not excited. So we went, and the first few times, I'm not going to lie, I thought it was a freak show. I was like, these people are crazy. They raise their hands and sing to a God that they can't see, and then they get excited, and then people pray for them, and sometimes they even fall, and I'm like, ah, that's too much, dad. This is crazy. So during worship, sometimes my sister and I wouldn't want to be in worship, and it was funny, but when we were there, we would stand like this. No smile, nothing. Like, this is crazy. Um, And we were excited that worship was over because we could just sit down and like, you know, Forget about what the pastor was saying. But after two and a half months of being there and listening to the word of God and listening to my dad talk and talk and talk about the word of God, and he actually gave us homework, so we had to read Genesis, and we had all these questions because it just seemed all crazy. Um, So, you know, something inside of us started changing, and the word of God is starting doing its work in us. So at the end, I remember there was a guest speaker uh, at the church. It was like a Friday night special different service and it was a guest speaker from seattle um and if you know ben and katie are from that same area my best friends are from the northwest my husband is from seattle so i'm thinking that there is something in seattle that i have to like there is a treasure or something that i have to go look god, god keeps telling me seattle seattle i don't even like the rain but um anyway so he's speaking and he's speaking about the love of god and he's speaking about how much how much he loves us and how much he desires to have a relationship with us and as I was listening to him for the first time paying attention at church, I thought, I want that. I want a relationship with God. It sounds awesome. I love this. So at the end of the service, he makes a salvation call, and without a hesitation in my heart, I raise my hand. I, I even think that it wasn't even me. It was kind of the Holy Spirit, because when I raised my hand, as soon as I did it, I was like, ooh, should not be doing this. Put it down. Put it down. <laughs> so I raised my hand, and um, he asked for us to come up to the to the. Uh, next to him to the stage and I go up to him and he prayed for me and I started crying and I didn't know what was happening but that day something inside of me changed and I got so excited and I was going back to Colombia uh, I think the next week and then so I I said my I said to my dad that I want a bible and I'm going to find a church and I'm going to find a group I'm going to read my bible I'm going to find a group of believers this is going to be my life it's going I'm going to be an advocate for Jesus Christ I'm going to go to my high school I'm going to talk about him I'm going to tell all my friends I was excited I was stoked so I go back and my sister and I go to this church and we go and we were totally turned off we were like oh these people are crazier than the Americans this is really bad. So we went once. We didn't like it. Soon, soon after that, I stopped reading my Bible, and soon after that, I had forgotten all about it. Um, and I kept living my life exactly like I was living it before, you know, as an agnostic. Uh, so years went by, and I would kept visiting my dad every six months or every year, and I kept seeing him, but I was, tur- I was like, this was not for me. I tried it. didn't work out. Whatever. So I would go to church, and I liked the principles, and trust me, I used the principles. I kept tithing. This whole amount of years, I kept tithing because I saw that it gave me back. I was like, this works. I'm doing it. (laughs) But I was totally using God. Um, And I knew certain principles that would work, you know, and I would use them. And I know so many people that still use the Bible that way, and it's not right. Don't do it. It doesn't work out. It's about the relationship with Jesus Christ. So when I, I went to college, and I was 17 when I started going to college, and I met this boy. And the boy and I started talking, and um, we seemed to have a lot of things in common, and 
actually, now that I look back, we didn't, but we thought we did. And so we started dating, and it was great, and I loved having my boyfriend, and it was fun, and I was going to computer science, so I was the only girl, so I was getting a lot of attention from the boys, and I loved it. It was really fun. Um, so I started dating this boy, and when I was 22, um, he was going to come with me to Orlando. My dad was now in Orlando, Florida, and we were going to visit my dad. So I told him, like, you know, my dad is a Christian. He's a little out there, like, don't worry about it. Um, so he came with me, and we came to this church. And this church, oh, I hope nobody, none of you get offended by what I'm going to say, but this church uh, was a black church with a white pastor. But when I'm saying a black church, I'm talking a black church. I'm talking about when they are singing, you know. I'm talking about they, they, they say, they kept saying, like, I don't know, one word, like, righteous, righteous, right. 30 minutes later, righteous, righteous. Like, it's a black church, right? And the pastor was white, which was the funnest thing. Really good church. I loved it. I loved the worship because it was all gospel. And you know, how, you know how black people are. They are just fun. And you saw the ladies with the big hats. And they, there was a lady, every weekend, she would run around. Like, during worship, she would start running and lifting her hands and yelling. And I was like, ah, this is crazier than I've ever seen. But I like it. It's kind of fun. So it was a Tuesday night service, right? And we go to the Tuesday night service, and um, the pastor used to be a worship leader, so this church was really into worship, and they taught about worship a lot, and they spoke about worship a lot, and they explained worship all the time. And I never knew what worship was until I came to this church. And I remember that day he came up to to the um, stage, and he said, guys, I have a great word for you today, but God is moving so powerfully that I think we should keep worshiping. And I was like, all right. Um, so we kept worshiping, and suddenly I, I was brought to tears, and I started crying, and I had to sit down, and I kept crying, and I, kept, I couldn't stop talking, and I kept just talking and praying and praying, but something had taken over me, and I kept praying and praying and crying, and I kept looking up at my dad, and my dad kind of was trying to tell me, it's okay, just let it happen. Just The Holy Spirit is moving inside of you. So... Um, that day, I recommitted my life to Christ, and during that trip, my boyfriend, who was with me, got saved, which was really exciting. So we talked, and you know how it is when you are a couple and you're not Christians? You know what happens, right? So we talked after that, and we said, okay, we, we have to stop, and we have to start living a different relationship, and we have to understand that now that we're dating, this is not dating. This is getting ready for marriage. We had been dating for like three years at this point. Um, we're getting ready for marriage, and everything has to change, and so once again, I got super excited. I found a, pro- I found a program in Orlando that was like the School of Ministry. We we're going to start in September. And I told my dad, I'm going to go to Columbia, organize everything, pack my bags, drop out of school, of college. I was halfway through. And I'm going to move here. I'm going to do this ministry, this School of Ministry thing. That This is what I'm going to do. And my dad was like, awesome, I love it. So we made all the plans. We started everything and talked to my boyfriend. I was like, I'm going to be here, but you know what? It's going to work out because if we're meant to be together, we're meant to be together, right? Um, so I get back to Colombia. And my mom, I don't think my mom was meaning to do anything bad. I think she's just being a mom and she was being cute. And the enemy was using what she was doing. So I get back and the day I get back, she's like, I bought you a new car. And I'm like, awesome, I love it. <laughs> and then she said, you know, and you want to study literature, because I wanted to study literature, but when I got into school, they, my family was like, what are you going to do with that degree? But she said, you know what, I'll, I'll pay for it if you want to do it. Like, it's okay. And I was like, this is totally God. I need to stay. Totally need to stay. So soon after that, I stopped reading my Bible, didn't look for a church, um, and went back to my old ways. But see, now I was different because when I was 15 
Um, I didn't have anybody to keep me accountable. But now that I was 22, my boyfriend really got touched, and he changed. And now every time he looked at me drinking, and every time he looked at me drunk, and he had to carry me home, I felt so judged. And I felt shame, and I felt that was what Christianity was. That's what Christians were going to do if I really took this seriously. They were going to look at me with, with the face of just, ah, you're awful. You know better than these, and you're still doing it. You're awful. And see, my boyfriend wasn't doing that. He was just carrying me home all drunk. But as, as, he, as I knew that he knew what I had heard and he knew the experiences I had had, um, it just made me feel so inadequate and it made me feel so wrong and it made me feel like, why, why can't he do it and I can't? How come he's able to stop drinking? And how come he, I can't? I like it. See, that was the worst part of it. I, I would pray and I would say, God, why do I like it? Like, shouldn't you take this desire? Like, I actually enjoy going out and partying and dancing and drinking, and I love it. So a couple more years went by, and I kept living with this shame, and this, it was just awful. And then another boy came along, and this boy started talking to me, and this boy was crazy, and um, he was all about, you know, doing the craziest thing and um, just going completely opposite to the Word of God, and he was obviously not a Christian, and I liked it because he made me feel like I wasn't that messed up. See, and that's what Christians do sometimes, and that's what we do when we're walking away from God. We look for people that are more messed up than us so that we won't, we're not that bad, so we'll blend in. See, because we don't like the righteous people because when we look at them, we know how much work we have to do, and work is not fun. We'd rather go low and go down and go away because we see that that people, they are as bad as us. They will tell us, it's okay, it's no big deal, but that's not the right thing to do. So this boy, I started talking to him, and um, he decided to, I was taking literature classes, and he, uh, he was a, com- a computer science as well, and he decided to take a literature class with me because, right, it was a great opportunity to talk to me. And since I hadn't taken that many literature classes, he was perfect, like he was the only person I knew. So we started um, doing all these projects together, and I would go over to his house to work on projects, and they were tough projects, so I would stay over really late. And um, we started building our relationship and talking so much until, of course, we ended up kissing one day, and um, I felt so bad. And I was like, oh, I, sh- I shouldn't have done that. So I, I don't know how I gathered up, gathered up the courage to tell my boyfriend, and I told him, I said, you know, um, I kissed a boy. And he said, you know what, you're going through some stuff, and it's okay. It's okay. And I was angry. <laughs> and I was really angry at him. Because, see, him forgiving me made me just feel more awful and more dirty and more like a bad person. Because if he, if he would have said, you're awful, and he would have walked away, I would have been able to just walk into my, you know, like be like, hey, yay, I'm going to stand with this boy and like just keep being bad. But see, when he said... It's okay. I forgive you. Let's, let's work this out. I felt awful. I felt, I don't, I don't, why is he doing this to me? Now I really have to change. Like, he forgave me. I really have to do something different. Um, so I kept, feeling, I kept feeling the shame, and I kept feeling awful, and I, now I felt worse, and uh, I kept drinking, and I kept going out with friends, and I kept doing things that I'm not proud of. Um, so, and he said, I don't want you to talk to the boy anymore, though. It's a normal request, right? And I said, yeah, of course. Well, 
a few months went by and this boy started calling me again. And see, I hadn't dealt with the shame. I had allowed for the enemy to bring more shame on me and to bring that law that we were talking about and use it against me. So instead of dealing with it, I allowed for the shame to gather up and I allowed for the embarrassment and I kept looking at myself and I was like, I am the worst person in the world and this is the best I'm ever going to be. So he called me one day and he said, do you want to go to dinner? And I, I thought to myself, I know what he's trying to do. I know his intentions. Uh, but I said, yes. I said, yeah, let's go to dinner. And that night I lied to my mom and I lied to my dad and I lied to my sister and I lied to my boyfriend and I lied to everybody about where I was going. Um, and I remember him picking me up and I got in the car. And as I was sitting there, I kept, feeling, I kept feeling smaller and smaller and just like a bad person. And I kept thinking, what am I doing? I shouldn't be here. I know what he's trying to do. I know, what this is, I know where this is going. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. So we stopped at a red light and I was sitting there and looking out the window thinking, get out of the car now. Get out of the car now. Take a cab. Go back home and get out of the car. And as much as I would love to tell you all, that I listened to the Holy Spirit who was the one telling me to get out of the car, I didn't. I got in the car, and that night I cheated on my boyfriend. I just cheated. I remember waking up the next morning. He took me home later, and I remember waking up and thinking, uh, that's it, it's over. This is, this is the best I am. I'm, I'm that kind of woman, you know? the kind of woman that lies and cheats and the kind of woman I never thought I would be in my family. Cheating is like the worst sin in the world. And I thought, I am, I am that woman. So I kept lying to everybody. And I lied to my mom and I never thought, any, I, I never thought they were going to find out. So I never told anybody what had happened. Um, but as you know, the Bible says that not there, nothing is hidden under the sun, nothing. So my boyfriend found out and he didn't even think about it. He just said, this is it. I can't. I can't keep doing this. I forgave you all the drunk nights. I forgave you all the times that you hit. I, I would push him away and be like, let me drink. I would hit him. And he said, I forgave all of that. I forgave the kissing. I forget all the flirting. I forgive that. But this is, this is it. It's too much, Joe. I'm over it. And I remember that I thought that was going to be good. But see, that day and the months leading up to that day, like the months after that, I kept thinking, I have to get him back because he knows all the truth and he took me. Nobody else will do that. When they know all the truth and when they know what kind of person I am and when they know what I've done, nobody will want me. Nobody will want to be friends with me even because who would want a woman like that? Who would want a liar? Who would want a cheater? Who would want someone that just does all these things that are just not right. Who would want a woman that likes to drink so much? But God is good. How many of you know that God is good? God is good. And um, at this time, I moved to Vegas, and I met Ben. Uh, I'll let him tell you the story of when I met him. But I met him, and um, I met another group of believers, and I started getting closer to them and closer to them. And they made me feel worse about myself, but at the same time, they made me feel like I could be better. At the same time, they made me feel like they wanted to help me really become a better person. They wanted to help me reach the potential that God had for me. 
So I started getting closer to all these believers and to all these people, and they kept asking me. I remember that the, the first time, Elena, who is in the back, um, I had seen her like three times, and she asked me, can I pray for you? I had never been asked that except by my dad. And I remember thinking, oh, these people love me. They really care. They don't care what I've done. And even though they looked at me and I thought they could see all the shame and all the sin, I still thought, why, why are they so nice to me? They can see it. They can see how messed up I am. They can see how awful I am. See, and, and through that process, I got cleansed. Through that process, I got transformed. Through that process, I finally, my heart changed. It took a while. And if you think about it, it didn't take that long because God is awesome. And then it wasn't a, a year and a half, two years later, I met my husband. And when I met him, I was a different woman. When I met him, God had taken me through a two-year process where he stripped me, he cleansed me, he made me the right woman so that he could bring the right man for me. Because that boyfriend of mine, he wasn't the right person for me. I just kept thinking he was because he had taken me, because he knew all my stuff and he forgave me. But see, he, he was just my comfort zone. He was just the one that forgave me. He was the one that knew. But now I had a boyfriend that didn't know anything, and I had to tell him. And I remember the day we sat down. We were here in San Diego, and I told him, there is something I need to tell you. And I told him everything, and he said, Joe, that's not the woman I'm marrying. You're perfect. God made you perfect for me. You're perfect. And when I look at you, I, I, I just think I am so blessed because you're perfect. He saw me through God's eyes the way I was never able to see myself until later on. So I realized that, see, it was the law. It was the knowledge of the law that kept me from having a relationship with God because I kept thinking, I can't live up to it. I'm messed up. I'm wrong. I'm awful. I'm a sinner. And I can't, there is so much. I can't do it. See, and I realized that the law, that our life, it's like we are in a box, a big room, a box, right? And it's full of mirrors, but it, the light is off. We can't see the mirrors. We can't see anything. We can just feel ourselves, and we, we, we can tell that we are kind of cut, and we can feel some bruises, and we can feel that we are kind of bleeding. But since we can't see, we keep thinking, I think I'm okay. It's okay. I think I'm fine. I think, I mean, sure, I have a few bruises, but I'm sure that it's no, no big deal. And see, the law comes... And it's like turning on the light and seeing yourself in those mirrors and realizing you're out of shape, you're cut, you're, you're bruised up, you're less than perfect, you have issues. And we can stay there and just forget about it. Stay there and look at ourselves. And then when that happens and the revelation of who we are and the revelation of the law and everything that is Christian comes to us, we have three options. The first option is to do what I did the first two times. Turn back the light off. Just forget. Turn the light back off and pretend. Pretend that I'm fine. Pretend that it's, it's just little bruises. It's no big deal. It's, it's okay. See, we have that option, and I did it twice. That doesn't work out. The only thing that does is lead to death because we keep getting bigger cuts. We keep getting bigger cuts. We keep getting even worse out of shape. We keep getting even more bleeds. See, that leads to death. That doesn't work out. And see, the light keeps coming on because God loves you so much, he'll, try, he'll keep trying to get you. So the light will keep coming on. And you keep trying to turn it off, but he will keep trying to get you. He will keep trying to get your attention. The second option you have 
is um, it's to, to stare, to stare in the mirror. You know, when you have a scar or when you have a little set and you start picking on it, how much worse it gets? When you start picking at a scar, it never heals. You can do that and feel shame and feel guilt. And see, I know you all know the story of Judas, um, the, the disciple that betrayed God. That's what he did. He broke the law by lying and by betraying God. Well, the Son of God betraying Jesus. And he, he, he felt so bad and he felt the shame and he felt the guilt. And instead of saying, you know what, God is good, he decided to pick on that shame. And he decided to pick on that on those scars and pick on the bleeds and pick on all of that. And it just got worse and worse and worse. And that too leads to death because as you know in the story, he kills himself. I truly believe in my heart that if he would have repented and he would have asked God for forgiveness, we would see him in heaven. We would find him in heaven because God is that good. God is truly that good. And the third option you have, which is the one I recommend all of you take, (laughs) is allowing for Jesus Christ to break the ceiling off of that room and so that his light will shine. And when there is that greater of a light, when you see at yourself in the mirror, all you see is his light. All you see is his light. That's it. See, that is the third option, and that is the option that I took a couple of years ago. That is the option that I am trying to walk out even today. It says in Isaiah 43 that God does not hold your sin against you. He doesn't hold your sin against you, but beyond that, it says, he remembers it no more. If you understand what that means, it doesn't mean like, like us. I forget everything. I'm awful. I forget everything. But as soon as somebody mentions something, I remember it again. So I didn't really forget it. No, God, is the, he owns time. When he says he forgets, it means he goes back in time to the time you did what you did. He goes back. He opens your book. He opens your story. And he erases all of your sin. It's removed from your book. It means that when he opens the story of your life and he goes through it, there is nothing. There is nothing but righteousness. There is nothing but goodness. There is nothing but perfection. That is what it means that he forgets. Do you understand how exciting and like I just, when I think about it, sometimes I just start crying because I know what I've done. I know the things I've said. I know the sin I'm in. And I know that he went back in time and he erased it all. It's gone, guys. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what you did this morning. It's gone. All you have to do is allow for his grace and allow for his goodness to take over your life and erase everything. Don't allow for the enemy. Don't allow for the enemy to use your sin against you. Don't allow for the enemy to use God's good and perfect law against you. See, God wants you. He loves you. When, um, when Jesus was baptized, he hadn't started his ministry. He hadn't done much. Um, you know, except living, but nothing spectacular, nothing, no, no miracles, nothing. And when he got baptized, the heavens opened, and God said to him, this is my son in whom I am pleased. The first time I read that, I asked my dad, dad, how come he's pleased? God, Jesus had done nothing. And my dad said, because you don't have to do anything. He's pleased. He's pleased with you. He loves you. 
He loves you so much. He loves you so much. He sent Jesus Christ so he would die and you would be free from sin and you would be free from law and you would be free from anything. He loves you so much. He wants to give you abundant life. See, the third option leads to the abundant life and the exciting life that the Bible talks about. My life started being really fun and really exciting and really awesome the day I surrendered to God. So if you really want to have fun and you really want to live an awesome life, surrender to God today. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for today, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God, that you are good. I thank you, Lord God, that you have brought every single person that is sitting today here. You brought them, Lord God, because there is something that they need to hear today, Lord God, because your Holy Spirit had to speak to them something today, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, for every single seed that has been planted in their hearts today, and I thank you, Lord God, that those seeds will bear back fruit. I declare the enemy is not going to be able to steal those seeds, Lord God, and I pray protection over those seeds so that we can see the fruit that you want to bring forth.